What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wada. One thing is very certain. Technology and how we use it today has expanded the concept of what a book is. A book certainly no longer needs to be print on paper, but it can apply technology in exciting and interesting ways. One of these applications that I love to follow are book-to-app transitions. This category is essentially a book or book character that has been recreated into an app. Sometimes these apps just take the book and put it into an app, making it more of an ebook. Sometimes app creators take the book a step further and add magical things that print books can't do, thus making the book interactive. Some apps just take the character or premise of a book and make a whole new application. No matter the form, these kinds of apps are exciting and take books to a whole new level. Now, don't get me wrong, not all apps are created equal, and some of these are big misses. And in all honesty, sometimes you just have to try them to see if they offer the kind of experience you want. Also, the reality is that most of the really great ones cost a little money, so you have to spend a little to get them. But in the end, there are those that are worth it. One of my own personal recommendations are Sandra Boynton's book apps. Boynton is an amazing artist who is well known for her outstanding board books. Her apps have taken four of her classic books and put the stories into apps. The apps recreate the book experience with a two-page spread where the user has to turn the page. But they also add in fun interactive elements where the characters move or items are added. All the interactives fit really well with the story and make sense for what is going on. So instead of distracting, they add another nice layer to the story. The books also add narration, so you can have the app read the book or you can read it yourself. Add in some subtle music and you have created a fun interactive app that is right for the kind of kids who love her board books. So if you are like us here at Rachel's World, and you also look to look for new kinds of books, maybe it's time to check out the apps on your phone or tablet to see what kinds of new reading experiences await you. Good literature helps us overcome barriers, leap over boundaries, and experience immense freedom of imagination. Author Jean Luen Yang is a strong advocate of removing walls or obstacles to learning, particularly for children. Jean Luen Yang, a graphic novelist, is our guest today on Worlds Awaiting with Rachel Wadham. He is the creator of American Born Chinese, the first graphic novel to win the Prince Award, which is the American Library Association's annual honor for the best young adult book. At present, Jean is the 2016 Library of Congress National Ambassador for Young People's Literature. Yang has also produced a number of comic books based on Nickelodeon's popular series, Avatar, The Last Airbender, and DC Comics' Superman. Currently, he is working on The Secret Coders, which draws on his experience as a computer science teacher. Here's Rachel with Jean Luen Yang. We're chatting on the phone with Jean today, who is an extraordinary graphic novelist. Welcome, Jean. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. 
Well, I am really excited to talk to you more about your work. I think what you do is so wonderful and so unique. And one of the things that I think is great is the fact that you have been able to be like the ambassador for children's literature for the Library of Congress and and to get your voice out there and to help children in all different aspects of their life feel like that they can they can be creative and they can um, engage in these types of things as well. So how has that experience been for you talking more at a broad level about how to engage with the conversation of children's literacy? It's It's been a ton of fun. It's been kind of crazy. Uh, I was invited over to Washington, D.C. in January for this fancy ceremony where they gave me the fancy medal and a fancy suit, and they made me the, the fifth ambassador um, the fifth national ambassador for young people's literature. So the national ambassador program hasn't been around for that long. It started in 2008. Every term is two years. And what every ambassador does is we, we pick a platform. We pick something about reading, something about books that we want to focus on. So for me, it's reading without walls. And what I mean by that is I want to get kids to explore the world through books. You know, uh, I, I want them to, one, pick books about People that don't look or live like them, too, I want them to pick books about topics that they might not know anything about. And three is I want them to pick books in different formats, especially formats that they haven't tried before. So if they've never tried a graphic novel, I want them to try one. If they've never tried a book in verse or a chapter book, I want them to try one of those. Uh, it's, it's an honor to be able to do that. It, it's also uh, a little bit intimidating. I'm following Kate DiCamillo, who was the previous uh, national ambassador. She, she has some big shoes, man. It's, uh, it's kind of nuts. She, um, she was super helpful to me. I, I was able to email some questions to her. She gave me a, a view of what it was like to be a national ambassador, and, um, and it's been great. It's been great so far. Well, we appreciate that focus and, and helping kids really expand their walls because there is, there's so much out there and there's so much available to them that being able to expand those walls is a wonderful thing. So tell us a little bit about how you expand your walls. What, what is your reading life like? What, what do you enjoy reading? Well, right now, a, a lot of my reading has to do with research for my project. So recently, um, I've read... Uh, some old Superman comics because I'm working on a book called New Superman for DC Comics, which is about this um, kid who grows up in Shanghai, a Chinese kid who grows up in Shanghai, who inherits some of Clark Kent's powers. So I read Totally Awesome Hulk. And, and you may not be aware of this, but Hulk is no longer Bruce Banner. Hulk is actually this Korean-American kid now named Amadeus Cho. Uh, and, uh, and that's a really fun book. So uh, the new Hulk and his little sister, his 16-year-old sister, they fight crime out of a flying food truck. In in issue number three, they fight this giant monster called Fing Fan Foom. It's awesome. It's, it's a ton of fun. I was aware of that, and I agree. It is awesome. <laughs> there's, there, there's, <laughs> you've, read, you've read Totally Awesome Hulk. I have. <laughs> I have very much so. I I am a, a very large superhero comic fan. I have engaged in that world since I was since I was a young girl, probably about the same time that you were <laughs> engaging in all of in all of this. So this is this is part of my history as well. I think you know, for one thing, uh, comic publishers, superhero comic publishers, are finally realizing that there are actually girl superhero fans, you know, and they're finally putting out these really interesting girl characters. Wonder Woman's always been around, but 
Um, but she's she's really been one of the few um, female characters that has female superhero characters that have been able to connect with readers. But now there's like Ms. Marvel, there's Squirrel Girl. It's just uh, I think it's kind of fun. I have three daughters who love superhero comics as well, so it's really nice for me to have these books to give to them. I agree. I think when I was a girl, I I didn't see as much of that as as I do today, and I just I love seeing gender diversity and cultural diversity and racial diversity yeah. and and it really is yeah. becoming a much more inclusive genre than than it ever was before which is really yeah. exciting do you do you think that you um provide this diverse perspective um in a way that connects with your readers or how how do you take authority to be able to to be a voice that may be not the dominant voice, particularly in children's publishing right now. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. If, I don't know if I exactly have authority. I think I just do what uh, pretty much every writer does, right? Every writer, uh, even when we're writing things that are fantastical, even when we're writing characters that are on our own, we have to, at some level, draw from our own lives, and that's totally what I do. I, I use my own life as my first source of material. And then I augment that by, by reading other books and, and, and doing research online. But really, a, a lot of it just starts with some emotion that I've gone through, some, some experience that I've gone through. Uh, and uh, and I, I, don't, I don't think I'm unique in that. I think every author does that. So really, diversity is less about... I mean, I, I think diversity is less about... Um, it, it really is about inviting more more types of creators into the tent. That, that's what I think. And, and, uh, and I feel lucky. I feel lucky that um, I found a place for my stories within the current book market. Uh, but I also hope that in some ways I can bring, I can, I can help bring other sorts of voices in as well. I agree totally that it really is about bringing more voices in the tent. It makes for more interesting stories too, I think. I, I agree. I think the diverse perspectives just allow us to see things in a different way and, and to push the story in directions that maybe wouldn't have been able to go. I think that really is a challenge, Gene, to to take what you know and to put yourself out there in that way. I know you draw a lot on your experience and your newer series, the Secret Coder series, really pulls on your teaching experience and your love of computer science. Can you talk a little bit about that series and what it's doing right now? Um, I'm really excited about the Secret Coder series because it's something that I've been thinking about for a long, long time. I taught high school computer science for 17 years uh, and I would teach in this really visual way. I did a lot of drawing on my whiteboard to illustrate the, the points I was trying to get across. And when I was doing this, I always thought, man, a lot of these lessons could work very well in a sequential art format, in a, in a graphic novel format. Uh, I finally got to do it. Uh, we started Secret Coders maybe two years ago. Uh, I got teamed up with a guy named Mike Holmes, a, a friend of mine, who, um, before he started working with me on Secret Coders, he was actually working on the Adventure Time comic books. A really talented guy. So I'm handling the the words and he's handling the pictures he just brings this real saturday morning energy to everything he does you know and uh, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to combine um educational and narrative goals into a single project so educationally speaking i want to get across the foundational um you know the the foundational concepts of, of computer science to my reader uh, and then narratively, we want to tell a really fun story about these kids who find a secret school that teaches coding. 
That is so exciting. I I am very much engaged that that series will provide some really great information for kids, but also help them understand how fun coding can be and extend that out into a wider audience. As we close here, how have uh, particularly children and young adults responded to your work? Well, it, it, it definitely depends on the book. You know, for, for the, the books that I do for a second, um, it, it seems like, especially with American-born Chinese, it seems like a lot of children of immigrants, regardless of what country their parents come from, really resonate with that book. You know, that book really is about navigating between these two different cultures and trying to take um, two sources of expectations, two sources of wisdom, two sources of, of perspective, and combining them into a single whole. Uh, I think just if, if your parents are from a different place and you grew up in America, you have to do that at, at, at some level. Um, for, uh, for Superman or for Avatar Last Ever, you know, those uh, characters are much bigger than just me. <laughs> those worlds are much, much bigger than just me. And, and there are definitely some really intense fans of Superman and of Avatar. And uh, when I hear from them, you know, sometimes it gets a little, uh, little funky. But really, like even the, even the really intense emails I've gotten, they just show a passion for, for those characters and they show how important those characters are. Yeah, and I think that that's a wonderful thing. You you become part of a community that's larger than than you particularly are. Well, this has been such a wonderful conversation, Jean. I have appreciated your insights, and I know our listeners will have appreciated your insights. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you. Thank you for inviting me. Rachel Wadham talking with award-winning graphic novelist Jean Luen Yang about how literature widens our world. Next... Illustrator and author Molly Idle talks with Jessica Verzello of the World's Awaiting Team about her joy in illustrating and creating picture books. She's 100% behind that a picture is worth a thousand words. Molly Idle has been drawing ever since she could wield a pencil, even before she could walk. Of course, her professional career as an artist came much later. It was upon graduation from Arizona State University with a BFA in drawing that Molly accepted an offer to work for DreamWorks Feature Animation Studios. Five years later, and after a number of film credits, she left the studio and leapt with gusto into the world of children's book illustration. Idol lives in Arizona. Here's Molly and Jessica. I'm with author and illustrator Molly Idol. Molly, we are so excited to have you here with us. You know, I love your flora books, and I'm just wondering, how do you capture such a story and movement without even using any words? Oh, that's a good question. I'm glad you think that I do, because, whew, that <laughs> checks that off for me. Um, you know, I think it's because I, I, didn't, I didn't set out to be a writer. I set out to make art, and even going into picture books, I thought initially that I would just illustrate, and then wound up writing as a means to make work for myself to illustrate but wordless picture books are really sort of my artistic utopian ideal um, <laughs> in storytelling 
And I, I think that old adage is really true about a picture being worth a thousand words. And I think that for young children, like wordless picture books really like hit a sweet spot for them because they know so much. They just can't necessarily articulate it all verbally. And that's often how I feel myself. And so for me, I feel like it's so much easier to show and often so much uh, more emotive to show than to tell. And it's with that in mind that I set out to make these books. Also, I set out to make like a really large theme for them to work around in in the theme of friendship. I think if you're going to try and do a wordless book, particularly one about dance, you know, it's one thing to make a book like sort of about dance and how you do it or somebody's story like told like with dance as like a lens to view it through but it's another to try and tell a story literally through like interpretive dance like you would see on the stage and so it needed to be about like really big emotions like really big feelings and for me the flora books like making a friend or trying to like make a connection find a connection with another person or bird um you know is is one of those deepest like biggest feelings that you can have and I think that that emotion itself lends itself to be easily read in body language because we all so readily connect with those feelings right right I think what I I mean I picked it up for the first time a, a month or so ago and I think what I love is it's just so accessible to young audiences who can't read yet who haven't learned yet or even to the older audience who are just amazed by your illustrations and just how beautiful they are. Oh, that's very kind of you to say. I I have fun making them, so I'm glad you're enjoying them. (laughs) I I really am. So I read an article, and in it you said that picture books are a mirror, a magic mirror, and I just love that. Could you kind of explain what you said there? Oh, I absolutely can. Um, I think that was for Picture Book Month, which is a great website. If, if, if those of you listening have not heard this, it's definitely worth checking out. And they post during Picture Book Month, which is in November. And last month, I was, or last year, I was one of their ambassadors during that month. Um, and that line, I thought, you know, we, we love literature because it allows us to see ourselves in books, but also because it allows us to see lives that are not ours. And I think, so they are a mirror in that they often reflect our own experiences and we find like relationships to them that way. But just as importantly, perhaps even more importantly, they allow us to experience someone else's life, Mm -hmm. someone who may not be like us, which is why there is such a need for like diversity in children's books. And because we need to experience things that are not our own so that we can relate and then empathize. Like understanding and empathy is the first or the first steps towards like building a more tolerant society. Because you can say like, I can feel how that would feel and it's not good or it is good or I wish that had turned out a different way but there are things that you might not be exposed to were you not reading about a story that is not like yours and in that way they are a magic mirror they can take you to any place to be anybody and what else does that you know and lets you do it on your own time you know movies can often do that but 
they last just so long and you're being led very much by the hand through them by the editor and the director and you really have to give up creative control as an author illustrator once the book is done because then you put it in the hands of a reader and they take it at their own pace and in their own time and connect with some parts and linger over them more than others and that is amazing and that's where I think like an even greater connection happens in books than it can in other visual mediums. What would you say is maybe something that's challenging for you as as an illustrator but also as an author because you've also written and illustrate your own picture books now? Um, words. <laughs> Honestly. Um, I, now I'm like at a loss to talk about words, and that's because I have trouble with words. But uh, it really, I feel like I've spent so much more of my working creative life with a focus on imagery that now that I'm deciding that I would like to take a greater hand in, in penning these stories as well, I find that there is so much to learn so much to know and because of that I spend a lot of time reading Um, and in reading other people's works I try and figure out why things work and why certain devices do and don't play well and why did I enjoy that particular line so much is it the pacing of it is it the word choice is it all of that you know is it like the surprising like place in the story in which that line was delivered um And so that is what is really challenging to me, is like finding the right words. Do you find that you illustrate and then put words to your illustrations? I actually find that it's very much a back and forth, um, not unlike this interview, um, (laughs) that I often, you know, a, a phrase or a word will make an image pop into my head, and then that will inspire, like, more words, but it's very much a back and forth. I often write... A draft, and then we'll try to like. I already have some imagery in mind, and then I will try to pace that out with the images. And then it's very much an organic process of how the text develops in conjunction with the illustrations, and vice versa. Sometimes the text necessitates a certain type of picture or layout, and other times an image will make the text that I've written like completely irrelevant or mm-hmm. un- unnecessary. You know, like oh, that whole line can go because we see what I'm saying there, and that's like one of the biggest pitfalls. Is like showing what you've just told like you don't want to show and tell like this story should the words in the story should be doing one job and the illustrations another so that together they do something that neither of them could do alone I think both your illustrations and your words do a beautiful job just telling great stories and and fun for for kids of all ages and adults I don't know I hope I never have to grow up personally (laughs) you never grow too old for a good book well thank you so much for taking this time to be with us and coming out all this way it has been so much fun and wonderful just to talk to you today Molly it has been my absolute pleasure thank you so much for having me here Jess we finish up the show today with Anne-Marie Marchant adult and teen services librarian at the Provo City Library, who talks to Cole Wissinger of Worlds Awaiting about the advantages of technology in a child's social and literate life. I'd like just some of your opinions, um, your, your personal thoughts, how you've seen technology in children's lives and teens' lives especially, um, and how it can kind of supplement and, and be there in addition to just those traditional books on a shelf. Yeah, I think like libraries and libraries of the future are so much more than books. I mean, we've got programs, we have um, all these technologies that are going to keep bringing the kids back into the library. Um, 
We have the Minecraft Club here at the library every Friday night for teens 12 to 18 from 6 to 8 p.m. It's a great place for them to come play the fun Minecraft game and also interact with each other in real life, which is an important component as well. So they aren't just sitting in front of the computer. Um, but they will come and line up in front of the computer lab at like 5 o'clock every Friday night just waiting for us to open the doors. So it's obviously something that they really love. You know, from the little kids, like my four- and six-year-old nephews love it, all the way up to, you know, the older teenagers and beyond are super excited about Minecraft. And we do have some Minecraft programs for younger kids here at the library as well. Minecraft kind of has this stink to it sometimes that it's very... Uh, an isolated kind of a game, right? And so I think it's really exciting that you're hosting a place where kids can gather to play this game that's normally extremely one-person based. And so adding those social literacies, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think that that's key. Um, You know, they'll talk to each other as they're building something or, you know, as they're trying to get away from... Uh, the creepers, you know, and all the different things. And even when they're not in Minecraft Club, they'll come play it on the computers just downstairs on the first floor. And constantly they're turning to their buddies and saying, wait, how do I get out of this? Or can you help me with that? Or, ah, this is happening. So I think that they need that social interaction as well as, you know, again, Minecraft is a great learning tool where they're learning how to, um, to build structures. And it's really... It's more than just a game. It's, it's. I don't know how else to explain it. <laughs> it's, it's totally exploring their imagination. So you think about a kid in a library. They're reading a book, and when you're when you just start reading a book, when you enter into a fantasy world or a science fiction world for the first time, your your brain just can explode with imagination and excitement. And Minecraft gives them a place to actually put all of their ideas and put their visions of a new world right in front of them for them to see and for their buddies to see. Right, and it's, you know, you also have that imagination and you want to put it out there, but you maybe you're not the best artist. This is a great way where you can artistically show what you're seeing and you don't have to come up with all of the ways to draw it out. It's already The building blocks are there for you literally to put together. Um, so that's something that they're interested in. Um, the, the children's department has been doing a coding club for kids for at least the last year or two we are starting that now with the teens we're super excited Um, it's going to be a program where they can come in and from beginner to more advanced it's going to be more self-paced and through like games and different learning activities they're going to learn these awesome coding skills which are going to be so beneficial to them in the future so many jobs you know depend on coding now and it will give them that jumping off point so if they decide that they want to have a job like this in the future they already have some background that's fantastic so tell me a little bit more about the the coding games if you know about it because when i picture coding i'm picturing a a very dry very boring c plus plus page full of just figures and letters that mean absolutely nothing to me and so when you're saying that kids can get excited about this very complicated kind of thing through games what what's that mean what's that like so um, there are things like, I think some of the programs are based on Scratch, which is a more basic uh, coding language. I personally don't know much about coding, so, so I'm still learning as well. Um, but there's things where, you know, you almost put like 
electronic Lego pieces into place, and you'll tell your character to turn, you know, one step to the left, and then one step down, and then two steps to the right, and, you know, you're going through a maze, or you're trying to get to the other character at the other side of the screen. So you're almost taking these digital Legos to put in the building blocks of how the code is is written and where it's going. So you'll sort of see it more in a pictorial version first, but then you can also then look at the HTML side of it and see where, you know, the line breaks are or what that left turn means or reads in code. Yeah, and so it, it just starts to get them familiar with the whole concept. That's so exciting. And, and through a game, they're almost building a game because having characters turn and jump and do things is the basics of your like most basic platformer. And so through a game, kids can start to build their own games. Right, and since it feels like a game, it's not like it's extra, you know, it's not homework or, you know, more school after they've been at school all day long because it feels fun. And they don't actually sometimes even notice that they're learning right away because they're just having fun with it, which is even better. Anne-Marie Marchant, teen services librarian at the Provo City Library, talking about how technology can benefit children as they learn. Thanks for listening to Worlds Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio, Sirius XM, Channel 143, on the TuneIn app, and at byuradio.org.